Welcome to Education Suspended, a podcast focused on exploring, engaging, and dialoguing with those in education who are passionate about changing the status quo and evolving the archaic system we have inherited. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to Education Suspended. I hope you're enjoying the last few days of winter break, however long it may be. Soak it up and enjoy it. Let's jump into our first episode of 2024. I have been thinking of all the different words I could use to describe this interview. I've thought of inspired. I've thought of validated. I've thought of gratitude. I mean, there's so many words I could use to describe this interview, and probably none of them do it justice. If you have heard me speak or teach before, you know that one of my favorite books of all time that really changed me as a professional in mental health and in education is Trauma Stewardship. I recommend it to almost everyone I interface with in education, regardless of their role, because I think it's so important to have a language for our experience, for experiences that we don't articulate enough and don't give permission enough for educators to feel. And it happened. We were able to sit down with the author of Trauma Stewardship, Laura Vandernoot Lipsky, and pick her brain. And y'all, I I think I'm still on cloud nine, to be honest. I just can't believe that we were able to connect with her, that she was so generous with her time. And we unpack a lot in a short amount of time. She talks about the impact of feeling misunderstood, the impact of isolation and stigma. And she really just validates what it feels like to be an educator, all the positives and yet the vulnerabilities that we face as well. Laura, for you and for all your work and for your time in our episodes today, thank you, a resounding thank you. It was such an amazing experience to connect with you. Listeners, please do not hesitate to head to our website, educationsuspended.com. We're going to have a link to Laura's website, the Trauma Stewardship Institute. There are amazing resources there and you can connect with her if you're interested in accessing this book or other amazing books that she's written. All right. I've been rambling long enough, y'all. Again, happy new year. I hope that this year can be one that you prioritize yourself and celebrate all the work that you do and all the lives that you change. Sit back and enjoy Education Suspended with Laura Vandernoot Lipsky. Hi, Laura. I recognize those white glasses. Sorry. Sorry to keep you waiting. I'm so sorry. Don't apologize. Listen. Oh, not a problem at all. Thank you for joining us. I told Steve I'm so anxious. And he's like, just just ride the anxiety. Just ride the feeling. <laughs> Go with it. Go no, with it. No, no, no. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. Thanks for inviting me. And sorry to keep you waiting again. No, no, no. Well, it's an honor to have you. And we begin all of our episodes the same. So we'd love for you just to say hello and introduce yourself to everyone that's listening. And then um, today's going to feel a little different for those of you that listen consistently, but we're just going to jump right to the good part and have Laura talk about her own educational experience as a student and any connection it has to her now. And then we'll go from there. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to spend time with you all today. I'm really been really looking forward to it. So thank you for having me. Um, it's funny that you're asking that because I just have been corresponding recently um, with one of my mentors from college and then another one of my mentors from grad school. So I've been thinking a lot about what the difference those folks made and then have been talking to some folks in university 
about just kind of just encouraging them to stress a little bit less and just really um, urging them to focus their time developing relationships with some mentors. I think that's so frequently that's what we carry forward out of educational experiences, right? Is, I mean, hopefully at least one, but maybe a handful of adults who we can think back on in our life of folks who really, 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 really made a difference for us. Um, and I, I know that's that's true for me with my education. So I want to take you back to age 18, if you don't mind. And um, because I, I'm so curious about your personal experience, getting just getting involved in doing the good work. Like a lot of our listeners, you know, we get drawn into teaching because it's the good work. We have an altruistic little stardust over us and i was intrigued that and you know for 10 years you, you did that work and all of a sudden you woke up to the fact that there was trouble um and then there was a sort of a definition of trauma and overwhelm and vicarious trauma and and uh, you had to make a shift okay. so I, can you walk us through that just a little bit and then i just have a little follow-up question once we hear that and maybe even in the in the context of that, I'm not trying to define your answer, but I'm, I'm really curious about the trauma and overwhelm and is there really a difference? So, mm -hmm. yeah, no, it's great questions. Well, I went to school, I had done most of my high school in Colorado, and then I went to school, to college in California, and that was a very big change culturally and i found myself um at a university uh and just was really out of sync i would say with much of university life at that time uh my mom had died of a very rare form of lung cancer several years earlier and i think i just was i was high functioning but i was i was really suicidal for a long time but kind of the high functioning suicidality <laughs> if somebody knew what to look for they should have been really worried um but you know like working four jobs and getting straight a's and everything and so i ended up you know landing in college still very uh you know just struggling a lot after my mom's loss and then i'm in this big university and i just was not i just was really like i said not sinking with kind of i think how not everybody but how a lot of folks were freshman year of university and i had a professor professor richard applebaum who i talk about in the ted talk as well and he was talking about homelessness in one of our classes and it was one of those moments that sometimes can happen in education where just i remember just it felt like time just stood still and the way he was talking about there's a way he was talking about suffering where he was talking about life and you know very buddhist principles of holding equal yeah. measure of beauty and pain and and you know suffering and grace and everything and i i'd never really heard anyone talk about it the way he had and i'm sure as many of your listeners know you know when you go through things that are traumatic one of the common themes often is feeling very isolated and i think there was something about the way he talked about it that really interrupted my isolation even though again my mom had died several years earlier so i went up to him after class and talked to him and he immediately introduced me to his colleagues he knew who worked in homelessness and in the in the shelters downtown 
so I was 18 and I just started volunteering, spending nights in shelters for folks who didn't have houses. And that's where I really found what was meaningful to me in college. So again, not a really typical college experience for many. Um, uh, I mean, I'm sure for some, but uh, amongst my peers, not so much, but really found a tremendous amount of meaning in that. And I was in a community that was small enough that once you start you know, doing that work, then you're going to find domestic violence and child sexual abuse and like everything else. So that's where I started doing my right. trauma work. Um, and one of my first actual paid, I was all volunteer, one of my first actual paid jobs was actually teaching preschool to kids who uh, were experiencing you know, transition and who didn't have houses. And so I've kind of the entire time, I, I guess, I don't know, is it 36 years now or something? I've done trauma work. I've also had kind of this parallel work I've done in education. So that was my first job doing it, you know, then. But then ultimately, I also, you know, some years ago, founded a Spanish language preschool with a little social and environmental justice curriculum. So I've always been very, very interested in education of kids as well, even while I'm doing the trauma work and doing some education around that. Like you said, that I did trauma work for a long time, but at the time that was, you know, that was a long, long time ago and we weren't really talking about vicarious trauma or this idea of, you know, when you're exposed to really hard things, what the toll is. And so that took a very significant toll on me, kind of started uh, struggling a lot with vicarious trauma and then found myself needing to really shift gears and explore that more. And so then my work stayed in primary trauma, but also moved to include vicarious trauma. So I think that's some of what you're referring to, that turning point. Right, and when that turning point happened, this is my real quick follow-up question. Did you change your foundation or did you find a foundation that was different? I mean, sometimes we build our houses on sand and even though we're doing good work, there's not a lot of foundation under us. And that causes, I think, vicarious trauma. What kind of foundational change might have happened? Or, or maybe I'm just putting words in your mouth. I hope not. Um, but what was the what was the change? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I think part of what happened, you know, so... So I was 18 when I started doing that work and I had, I would say I had a lot of insight. I would say I had self-awareness. I was definitely passionate and was very political. And I would say, as were all of my colleagues who I was working with, but none of us had a framework of how to do the work we were doing, right? So we're 18 and we're working in home, uh, we're working in domestic violence shelters, we're working with child sexual abuse. We're, we're, I mean, we're seeing all this really intense stuff. And again, you know, we're bringing our own lives to it, but nobody was talking about vicarious trauma. Like nobody was talking about that. And as few people as are talking about that in the education sphere now and, you know, 2023, 2024, like nobody was talking about it back then. And so we were going on passion and we were going on commitment and we were going on devotion and we were going on, you know, social justice, but we didn't have a framework and we certainly didn't have a framework of how to sustain. And so I think probably one of the things that changed the most 
Though I don't know how much it was a shift, but I just was very, very, very willing to talk about how much I felt like I was losing my mind as a result of doing the trauma work. Yeah. And I think I didn't really, it wasn't conscious, like I'm gonna choose to be vulnerable about this, but I just was like, wow, I feel like I'm losing my mind here, right? And which I didn't have a lot of awareness of how, how that was happening because with vicarious trauma, part of what's hard is it's hard to track how it's adding up, right? Like nobody loses their sense of humor overnight. You don't become cynical in an afternoon. You don't become numb in a weekend. But part of what's hard with the vicarious trauma piece is you're impacted, but it's hard to gauge how you're being impacted. But as soon as I figured that out, I was very willing to talk about it. And I think because there's so much isolation around it, I think there was something about my willingness to talk about it that then a lot of people um, found that it resonated. So certainly a lot of folks in the education field, and then, you know, a lot of folks in medical field, a lot of folks in the legal field, a lot of folks in first responders, anybody who's doing work where you're exposed to hard things, I think that really resonated for a lot of people. So I think that might've been something where I just like, you know, we know this, right? That we connect through our vulnerabilities. So I think it wasn't really conscious that I was like, okay, this is a big thing that I'm sharing. I just was like, wow, I'm tripping. <laughs> I just started talking about that. And then that seemed to resonate for folks. It's so interesting as you're talking, Laura, I'm reliving my own experience. So I started, I mean, I'd say in the mental health field in residential, right? What could be more trauma filled than residential treatment? And I think I was maybe the whopping age of 19. Yeah. working with adolescents that probably were 17, 16, you know, like I had essentially no business being there, but that's welcome to mental health. Right. And then, and then I, I moved into education in 2011. And I think for me, what, what really, you talked about the sense of right, you know, things that resonate with you, right? Like I remember starting to walk through the halls of, of, of the school that I worked with and being like, you know, excuse my French, but essentially, holy shit, these teachers are experiencing more vicarious trauma than I felt like I experienced in residential, because at least in residential, I knew what I was signing up for. Sorry, that was a tangent. I knew that was going to happen. No, 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 it's right? not a tangent. It's all, no, it's all connected. No, I completely hear you. Yeah. yeah. And so as I was preparing for, for this, ironically, yesterday, I teach at the University of Colorado, and we're in finals week, and I was meeting with a grad student who used to be a former firefighter. And he and I are discussing um, some of the concepts from class. And lo and behold, he brought up this thing that I have to talk to you about because he, he was saying as a firefighter, to some degree, kind of what I was saying. He goes, at least I knew what I, what I was preparing for. I knew that I'd be walking into a burning building. And my training prepared me through appropriate sequential development as an, as an adult to, to prepare to walk into a burning building. And he's paralleling that to now in, in education and working in this field. He's like, that that seems to be missing. Okay. So my question is twofold. What, what is the impact of, of the unexpected experiences, uh -huh. right? When you don't see that coming. And then on the flip side, I'd love to kind of dive a little bit deeper into, you know, systemically, it seems like our teacher tra training programs have to shift. Uh -huh. Like something has to give to, to give them more preparation. Uh -huh. um, that was a lot to unpack. Let's just start with kind of the, the unexpected. No, I mean, I hear everything you're saying. I mean, I think there's a couple things. I mean, you both know so well, and I imagine many of your listeners know that one of the most damaging things 
when it comes to anything related to trauma or anything connected to oppression is isolation is when folks feel that they're alone whether or not they're alone or not it's less important if you have a perceived sense of being alone connected with that that's very damaging is stigma if there's any stigma around anything that we're that we're talking about so you know trauma and vicarious trauma and, and overwhelm so i think part of what can be challenging and we never want to compare suffering here of course but for example there are certain professions like you're saying when somebody if you're at a cocktail party if you're at a barbecue and you say what you do you're generally going to have a reaction that might be affirming of like oh damn man that's like super intense it doesn't mean cops are getting trained well in this it doesn't mean firefighters are getting trained well in this it doesn't mean the military is getting trained well in this but when you say what you do you probably get some kind of a validating like people recognizing the level of intensity they can't totally understand it of course cops and firefighters and so many people are misunderstood but there you get a little bit of that feedback and I think part of what's really challenging for folks in education is often in education, you're not getting a response that is in any way validating or is in any way alignment with your lived experience and certainly not necessarily on the trauma piece of it. So I think that can cause even more isolation. Right. So if you're just kind of societally, we know that educators do not get the respect they deserve and they don't get the honoring they deserve. They certainly don't get the compensation they deserve. And then if you felt like if you feel like you're misunderstood, if you feel like folks aren't really seeing you in terms of the trauma piece of it, I think that can be very, very isolating. I think the other thing that educators not it's not unique to educators but it is i think very significant with educators is i think educators carry frequently a lot of shame and a lot of guilt when they feel a struggle internally so when they when their vicarious trauma manifests as fatigue as irritability as aggravation as you know just essential just like I'm not really liking this kid right now. And in fact, <laughs> I also really don't like this other set of parents right now. Like when, yeah. when they're feeling human things, because I think so many educators come in with just like hearts of gold and very integrity field re reasons to do this work. And because the systems and structures, I say this with respect, but are so problematic and so compromised right now in terms of just crumbling systems of education, that when you then have educators who are aggravated and angry and cynical and like all of this, I think it's not just that they feel those things, but then frequently they feel so guilty about feeling those things. And like you're saying, because generally there's not like spectacular training in education to become a teacher, you know, like th there's not like the training, there's not the support, there's not the scaffolding. I have a, one of my daughter's dearest friends is in Teach for America right now. I mean, what in God's name is that? I mean, it's like, it is, it is, I have watched Teach for America for so long and it's, I'm not, I'm not calling out specifically Teach for America, but you have these programs, whether or not it's Teach for America or somebody, you know, going to undergrad or grad school for this, it's like the lack of preparedness in general, just like in general to say nothing of like, 
essentially 0% of time being spent on vicarious trauma, right. right? So I think much of what I would say to your question is that isolation is very damaging, right? And what we never want is folks just feeling like it's in their own head. You never want folks feeling like if I was more devoted, if I was more dedicated, if I cared about kids more, if I had thicker skin more, you know, if, if I was like able to just rally more, then I wouldn't experience this. And I think that's where it gets into really problematic really destroys people on some level. And then you brought up the systems and structures. I mean, you know, I, I think the education field is connected to other fields that we can, you know, discuss as well about whether it, it it's like, whether, whether it can be improved or whether it should be dismantled at this point and like completely reinvented because it is, it is, it, there are so many headwinds for those who are trying to work in that field and do good work in that field. And it's, it is really, really, I think, dangerous to say the least, like how much of a setup it is. I don't mean like a malicious setup, but I mean, it, it's just like, how do you continue to do good work in that field when you've got the conditions in place like they are and the headwinds that folks are facing? Laura, I'm going to ask you a really unusual question, I think. Well, at least I actually, I hope it is. But when I watched your interview with Doug Baldwin, which was, you know, traumatized me as a Packers fan, because he did some malicious things to my Packers at one time. But no, I, I, I really loved, I loved the interview. And let me tell you why. I would say halfway through, and I was going to watch 10 minutes of, I watched it all. But when I was maybe halfway through that interview, I couldn't remember who was interviewing who. And I didn't know if that was intentional or not, but it was such a beautiful exchange and and the thing that hit that hit my mind the words were they are healing as they are healing it seemed like you were getting as much benefit as it was just such a vice versa thing it was it was like breathing you were breathing out and breathing in and so that that seemed intentional maybe i i don't know but it seemed like a wonderful thing for our educators to learn is how do we heal as we are providing healing? Or how do we learn to receive at the same time as we are giving? So I wanted to ask if, if that was a thing, because I felt it. Thank you. That's, that's really beautiful how you're saying that. So thank you so much. I mean, you know, Doug Baldwin, what I mean, what I mean, he, he's so beyond special. I think part of what you're surfacing is this idea of bearing witness and how essential it is to bear witness and to have somebody bear witness to you and you be able to bear witness to others. And I, I do think that one of the things that I imagine you all navigate a lot in your support of educators and and I mean we can say this with parents too but the more folks feel like there's there's supposed to be kind of architecture for lack of a better term around the work they're doing like educators feeling like they should feel a certain way parents feeling like they should feel a certain way caregivers feeling like they should feel a certain way then this this divide just gets bigger and bigger and bigger towards the reality, right? And so I think part of what Doug and I, you know, in that conversation, fortunately, were able to do was talk a lot about vulnerability. And I think that 
that is something that when we're not able to talk about our vulnerability, you know, as an educator, being able to talk about what the reality is like, you know, and as a parent, what it's like to be actually be a parent. And, you know, as a student, then we're just, you're just going on misinformation, right? You can't really get to the healing unless you're able to be truly honest about what the experience is. And I think that education in my experience is one of the fields where this is most difficult because i think there is so much around the expectations even if it's not accurate about how educators should be similarly to parenting right this is it's so isolating being a parent in so many ways i mean it's it is very hard to find other parents where you can be really honest about how you're doing as a parent and then that just leaves people so isolated. And so I think that that is when we talk about, you know, healing and what we can do differently. I think anything, you know, on our website, which I, I know you'll share with your listeners, we have this the circle kind of when experiencing trauma and overwhelm. And it has some of the most common manifestations of what you might notice in yourself, in your colleagues, when you're navigating really hard things. And I think folks just having some ability to see written down what they might be experiencing in and of itself can help you know interrupt some of that isolation and decrease some of that stigma that has historically been there i think that's great thanks i think it also reminds me of like and not to oversimplify but the power of language yeah yeah the, the, the power that comes with one's ability to try to express the sensations that they have and I think it does go back a little bit, Laura, like to, you know, the modifications of training our teachers, like the power that can happen, like if we can give that to them before they're in the classroom. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. If we can kind of norm that. I remember one of my first jobs in education was being was a clinical supervisor to educators. And I thought they were going to have an allergic reaction to have to come and talk to me. Mm hmm right? They just don't know, know what to do with it because it's just, it's just not normed out there to talk about these really significant experiences that they're going through. And even with what you're saying, even if we move it back earlier, helping folks understand why they might want to come into education, why they might want to come into the field at all. So why you'd want to be a teacher, why you'd want to be a coach, why you'd want to be a school counselor, why you'd want to be an administrator. I mean, all educators and and you know your listeners will know this idea of trauma mastery even if they haven't heard the term but trauma mastery refers to the idea that one of the hardest things about surviving a primary trauma is the out of control nature of it right that's part of what makes trauma trauma is the out of controlness mm -hmm. so what humans have done forever is we will recreate situations as similar to that traumatic incident as possible because we tell ourselves this time I'm gonna have a different outcome. So you can see it in activities, you can see it in relationships and you see it in work. Is it true that many people go into the field of education just out of the goodness of their heart, they are inspired by becoming a teacher? Totally. Is it true that countless people come and do education because of trauma mastery yes 
either because when they were in fourth grade, they had a hellacious experience and they promised themselves that nobody would ever have such a horrible fourth grade experience and they go on to be a fourth grade teacher, right? Or they were in middle school and a friend died by suicide and they decided they never ever wanted that to happen to somebody else. So they're gonna go become a school counselor or because somebody is sexually abused by a coach when they're in high school and they decide they want that to never happen to somebody else and they're gonna go, okay. So the number of people who come into the education field from a place of trauma mastery is very high. This goes back to what you were saying, Jessica, that so many students come through education. I mean, students who have a meaningful relationship with a teacher, it is extraordinary the details they can remember about that, mm -hmm. right? And so many students have so many very problematic experiences in the education system. So you have so many people who come out of the education system having had these very painful, awful, overwhelming, traumatizing experiences. Many of those folks, the reason then they end up going into education is from a place of trauma mastery. Oh. So even from the jump, when folks are deciding to go to school for this or deciding to apply to a district for this, that's a conversation you want to have with folks because it's not bad or good, but there's nothing inherently healing about going into the field of education from a place of trauma mastery because there is so much hardship in the field itself to think that somehow that is going to in any way help one resolve what happened back in the day there you you cannot think that right like that doesn't substitute for having to walk through the fire of your own grieving in your own mourning and metabolizing that trauma and I think that's something we often don't talk about. So then you have these folks coming in, trying to resolve what happened in fourth grade, trying to resolve the suicide of their friend, trying to deal with their own sexual abuse. And they find themselves now in this very, let's say, well-intentioned in many ways, and also very compromised and problematic system. And then they're just, they can't metabolize their own trauma to say nothing of wading through everything that's unfolded. I'm speechless. <laughs> <laughs> and right as I said that, my watch started vibrating. So like, oh my well, God, I'll, I'll slip one. I, I got to slip one more question in for Laura because it'll be very practical to all of us. You're you're obviously a very busy, very busy, busy person. But what do you do to make space? I mean, that busyness can make us sick, or we can figure out a way to make space and and find moments of just taking time off or, or, or I don't know how you do it, but I'd really be curious how you do it and what our listeners might gain from ways to make space. Yeah, no, I appreciate the question. I mean, everything that I urge people to do, it's really stuff I do. And that is because I have to do that to not like completely lose my mind. And again, I learned that the really, 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 really hard way, as we referenced earlier in the conversation. So there's a few things, you know, I talk a lot about how important it is for folks to metabolize what we're exposed to and really tend to our nervous system. And I, I really prioritize that. So I live in a very, very, very beautiful place in, in the United States, and I'm outside as much as I possibly can be. And I think that can be accessible for, for 
almost everyone. You don't have to believe in nature. I don't really care how you feel about nature, but we just know the science says being outside or looking outside can really help you re-regulate your nervous system. Yeah, I yeah. am fortunate to get to spend time with people who help me laugh a lot. And I think pure humor is extremely, extremely healing. Not cynical humor, you know, not not loaded humor, but just pure humor, I think is very, very helpful. I do a lot of things that help me get my heart rate up and break a sweat. Just again, I'm sure like probably everyone joining us today, I'm in my head a lot. And I think it's very, very important to get out of your head and do some things to actually like move things through your nervous system. And then I think the other thing that one of my mentors said to me, was like sometimes you just have to it's a and it's it's an exposure issue sometimes you have to just limit your exposure so i will say i am very i am active in in countless ways in terms of social justice and environmental justice and i am very 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 diligent about uh not taking in things on social media or through the news or in other ways um that i am not intentional about. So I don't expose myself unless I'm exposing myself very myself very intentionally. So those are some of the things I do. Yeah, that oh yeah. thank you. That that last one was just a beautiful a beautiful help. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, we're going to let you go here cuz our time is up, but I think it it just means even more that you gave us your time that you are intentional with what you do and that that we um, were fortunate enough to have you on. To say that your book changed my professional career would be an understatement. I talk to everyone about it. Any conference keynote I am giving, I am telling people to buy it because again, it gives language. It gives understanding. And I have had so many teachers, just so you know, who will respond, will email me and say of all the books, yours was so powerful because they understood the experience. So it is, I just want to thank you for that. That's really kind. That's really generous. Thank you. And I want to just, you know, thank you both for inviting me and for your listeners, you know, our site is traumastewardship.com. There's interviews on there. There's a TED talk on there. There's things that people can just listen to when they're walking their dog or folding laundry or, you know, doing the dishes. There's handouts that people can just download that are all complimentary. So everything from decision fatigue to what we discussed to, you know, you know, survival guides and everything. So that's, those are PDFs that people can download. It's very important to me. I'm uh, the books were written because I was asked to write them. I don't care about the finances of it. It's, it's very important to me that finances aren't a barrier. So if finances are a barrier for anybody, acts we always tell people just get stuff from the library. But if finances are a barrier, just really encourage your listeners to reach out to us. We're happy to slide the scale down. We're happy to donate copies of anything, both the books and then also we've got laminated handouts. I know your educators love their lamination, um, so we're really happy to um, slide the scale down on things or donate things as well and i don't you know i know your listeners i think are all over it in oregon there's a, a foundation in oregon and in parts of california that um offer the books also just gift them to people but we're always happy to work with people on that so i never want folks to think that finances should be a barrier we'll always work with folks so they're not and then just again for any of your folks who are listening who might still be in their adolescence uh 25 or younger or who are working with adolescents the podcast that we have is for adults as well as for adolescents and the second book we wrote on overwhelm was written for adults as well as adolescents and it was written with adolescents they critiqued it they reviewed it uh so that's it's really important to me that all my work is inclusive of young adults as well as adolescents so i wanted to share that just because i know sometimes it can be hard to find find resources so just make sure if you would to just share our our site with your listeners and the the 
podcast is Future Tripping and um, just really happy to be a resource. So people are welcome to reach out to us. We answer everything that comes in. If, if they don't hear back, it's because tech isn't perfect and we didn't get it. So just have them reach out again or, or through you. But we're really happy to be a resource to everybody. And just thank you so much for including me in your work. Yeah, thank you. And we'll make sure that gets out there. And we actually have a high school internship program that they get credit for editing and helping us produce this podcast. So this high school, I'm sure that they'll get it out to their friends too. Great. Thanks, Laura. It was so nice to meet you. Take the best of care. Much love to you both. Take the best of care and we'll be in touch again, I'm sure. All right. Take care. Take care. Thank you. Hello, my name is Luce, the Limburg High School senior intern who edited today's episode. Education Suspended is a production of Intricate Roots and Educational Consulting Services. Our producer is Jessica Pfeiffer. Our Education Suspended website was created by Grainer Media. Our production manager is Gina Henson. Music is provided by Spastic Pinky.